Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. From lunch through to tea, this is Afternoons with Staffy on SENZ. G'day Wednesday. G'day folks out there listening to Afternoons with Staffy. That is moi and I'm joined by Robinho in the studio, in the producer's booth actually for the rest of this week and next week as Sammy Hewitt is on deck with the Brecky Boys and you can listen to that 6 to 9 before Smithy 9 till 12 and then you got me today 12 till 2 because Sammy and Kempi will be coming back with Running It Straight, the rugby league show, the great rugby league show. I absolutely love it. That runs two to three. And then the run home from three to six. And don't forget, is it tomorrow, Thursday? Tomorrow's Thursday. The Ashes kicks off again. It's like a five-series soap opera. What's it going to chuck? It'll chuck some controversy up for us. So build-up starts from nine o'clock. And ball by ball from 10 o'clock tomorrow night. And lots of sport coming up this weekend. We're in the middle of the week. So we take a little bit of stock and take a bit of reflection. At 1 o'clock, we're do- joining Frankie Degas. Um, he's Argentinia's, Argentinian foremost rugby writer. Been doing it a long, long time. Try and see if we can unearth a little bit about what is going on there. We'll either, um, we're on a bit of a holding pattern. We'll either be talking to him at 1230 or one. We're not sure yet. Um, he's going to an airport and so uh, we'll get the all clear because he's flying to Mendoza um, to do some interviews, I think, or cover the game. I'm not quite sure. But we'll catch up with Frankie Degas um, within the next hour and a half anyway. Let's let's make that promise. Uh, interesting overnight. Um, New Zealand under-20s have failed again to make the semi-finals at the World under-20s. Yes, they won 62-19 against Japan. Yes, Maka Springer got three fantastic tries. Um, Japan coached by Rob Penny, interestingly enough, who's going to be the new Crusaders coach. New Zealand coached by Clark Laidlaw, the new Hurricanes coach. Um, They needed to win by 67 clear points, which they didn't. They actually coughed up a number of good scoring opportunities. But in the wash-up, the semi-finals are now France, Ireland, England, South Africa. Three Six Nations teams and South Africa. We are going to be playing Australia in the playoff for fifth and sixth. Um, the last two under-20 World Championships were finished fourth and seventh. Haven't won it since 2017. Um, seems to be a changing of the guard at the at the age group level, and it's been coming for a little while. France, look, 
everything like the winners of this tournament. Jeez, they are magnificent. And this is a this is a looking glass into the future, really. It is. When you look at the past under-20 teams um, of All Black teams over the last decade, they came through that pathway of under-20s and went on to dominate, will be number one and two in the world for a long, long time. I think we're seeing what the future, potentially, of what world rugby is going to look like uh, when these under-20-year-olds are... 24-25. Could be, could be scary-ish. Could be scary-ish. Just on rugby as well. We've got a bit of rugby today. I was engrossed with the chat with uh, Breakfast and Steve. Had Steve Hansen on the show this morning. Um, I arrived at work while it was playing and just sat in my car and listened to it in the entirety. And fully cognizant of the facts that listeners come and go all during the day, I've just plucked out a few of the talking points that he mentioned. So... Let's have a little. Let's have a little listen back, um, and I really want your comment and opportunity to react to some of his observations, his findings, his opinions, etc. Because it played quite late in breakfast, and um, probably didn't get a chance to ring up and react to what Steve Hansen had to say. And also, I am also aware that the rural roundup is on half our networks. And we are on the other half, so you will get through on 0800 150 11. I'm going to kick off, of course, the Nations Championship. We talked to Cam Good from New Zealand Rugby about what that looks like. And just to remind those that may not be aware, the six Nations teams will be in one six-team group. The four Sanzar teams and two Invitationals, possibly Japan and Fiji or someone like that. That will be the other group. You play everyone in the other side. Uh, some at the start of the year, some at the bottom end of the year, then there'd be a grand final potentially tweaking them. That's sort of what it looks like. No more extra games for the All Blacks, same number of test matches, but the July, was it July? Yes, the uh, June test window um, would now become part of the nation's championships. So, Steve Hansen, what are your initial thoughts on the new tournament? Yeah, I think it's a good idea. Like, something different, isn't it? And people, mm. fans particularly, want something different out of rugby at the moment and it's just been chugging along. So um, there's some real positives. There's probably one or two little queries I've got. Um, you know, the the rich are going to get richer and what's going to happen to the mm. second tier group. Um, I think they need to really make sure that um, there's opportunities for those teams to continue to get better because we don't want them turning up at World Cups and having two distinct mm. groups. We we want World Cups to be competitive like they have been. But and the other thing I'd like to see is can we, you know, can we play the July window maybe after the Six Nations? So play play the Rugby Championship out our side of it instead of playing Super Rugby at that time. Play play at the same time as as maybe. Um, the Six Nations do, and then go up and play uh, half of it um, around that period of time, and then and then let Super Rugby start after that. So uh, we can get more of a, a flow, more of a global season. You've got your All Blacks coming out of a pre-season, um, and that might give you the opportunity to play one or two of the second-tier teams to get ready. So, but you know, it's a good start. They've listened to the fans. They've listened mm. to themselves really because they've wanted this for a while. And, and I guess there's a lot of money involved in it too. Yeah, so the Nations Championship, um, his suggestion there is Six Nations plays sort of January, does it sneak into February? Um, and then play the Six Nations, uh, sorry, the Nations Championship. So some of those teams after Six Nations come down to New Zealand, play three weeks down here. 
Um, and then we start Super Rugby. So it's almost using um, – we'd have to change. We'd have to change the way we look at it. Uh, and then we'd play our World Nations games and then feed into Super Rugby. Um, interesting take. Really keen on your thoughts on that. You can ring any time. If we get phone calls, I'll interrupt these Steve Hansen grabs because uh, you guys are the most important things, 0800 150 the other thing Steve Hansen he was asked about is, is this competition a sign of unity? Does it, does it fix the barrier between, it's been here for a while, the Northern, Semis, Northern and Southern Hemisphere rugby, is the barrier under repair? Well, I think it's a start. I don't think it fixes it yet, but it's a start. Mm. And, and now there's something that's bigger uh, than just... You know, the November test or the July test, we've actually got something that the broadcasters are saying we're going to pay a lot of money for, which will get people to sit down and listen to each other. Um, for a long time, uh, Six Nations have dictated to World Rugby about whatever is needed because they they will not change uh, Six Nations because it, it, it's a winner, you know, it works for them. Um, so if they won't change, then maybe we have to change. Like we're playing rugby in that period, we're playing super rugby. So can we be flexible enough in our thinking to to look at our our window and say, well, look, can we do it another way? Um, and you know, it might be that uh, we can do that. So if we can do it, let, let's look at it, and, and if it makes it better for the players and makes it better for the fans, you know, we're winning, aren't we? The key for me in that description from Steve Hansen, he was part of those frustrating talks with the Northern Hemisphere and they wouldn't budge. Six Nations is a winner for them. They ain't changing it. And that's what I was talking about yesterday. New Zealand, Australia, Sanzar teams, they have to exercise the flexibility if they want more exposure to playing, having All Blacks England, All Blacks Ireland, All Blacks France every year. Well, every Nations Championship. It's you got to swallow your pride, and I mentioned it yesterday when we had a few suggestions, and it's stuff we would all love. We would love um, the top four teams, the the semi finalists from Super Rugby, then to go and play the top four teams from um, the European Championship and find out the the best club in the world. We would love that here. They don't want it. They don't need it. And we've been trying for years to try and bring things closer. The only reason it's come closer is New Zealand, Australia, etc. have had to be flexible and make concessions. And now we're starting to get traction. And as I say, Steve Hansen was part of those discussions for a long, long time, both when he was assistant to Sir Graham Henry and then as head coach for his decent elongated stint. So the fact that he said New Zealand now have to be flexible if we want change because... Again, in one of his comments, he just said rugby's just been trundling along without any effective change, and fans have been screaming for some change, for some engagement, etc., etc. Um, he was asked about the NRL, and he said he enjoys watching it. So what is it about the league that he is enjoying? Well, they just use common sense. Like, Philandes has been brilliant for the league. Peter Philandes, mm. a guy from New South Wales, like, and he's got rid of all the nonsense, and you've just got a game that's, tailor-made for TV because it appears to be non-stop. Now, if you go and watch it live, there's a lot of people walking. But that wasn't the comment. My comment was it's, it's good to watch it on TV. It's better than the rugby. Like, the, the semi-finals games were, were great. Uh, mm. Crusaders, not, not so much. But the 
Brumbies, Chiefs and the Chiefs uh, Crusaders final, they were wonderful games of footy. But that's only two games out of, you know, a whole competition. Whereas with, <coughs> with the NRL, they're all competitive uh, and they're all good games to watch. So that's what, what we've got to look at in the super competition. We've got to find ways to make it more competitive and therefore better to watch and give the fans what they want. Give the fans what they want. Give the fa- I almost want him to have another turn at New Zealand rugby because I feel like he didn't see all of this while he was in charge. Like he would have been had a very busy job when he was head coach of the All Blacks and involved in that whole process. But with the time to be away and be on the outside looking in and experiencing, um, he's done consultation in all sorts of countries and currently in Japan. And he's now being able to be a little bit more objective potentially, being out of the system and... I think now maybe his ears and eyes are a little bit more open and engaged, not saying he was intentionally shut off, but the, the time demands when you head coach of the All Blacks and putting together a whole program. Um, I think with the benefit of being out of it, he can look out and then just say the product, not the game, but the product, uh, the engagement that um, the NRL is getting um, is, is superior at the moment. And Peter Volandis has ruffled some feathers, but man, everyone's talking about it. Any thoughts on those? I've got some more of Steve Hansen, but I'll save them because I really want to hear your thoughts. 0800 150 Just so far on the Nations Championships that um, Steve's points there about um, playing Six Nations, then All Blacks, then Super Rugby. He did mention, which I don't think we're going to play here, um, he did mention playing the, the All Blacks, then the MPC, and the All Blacks can use the MPC for conditioning, but mainly rest, which, I mean, we never see, very rarely see them in MPC anyway, and then play your super rugby. And I don't mind that. I like that it's being discussed. I don't know what the exact tick-in-the-box perfect scenario is, but you guys out there might. So give us a yell on 0800 150 11. I'd love to hear your thoughts and reactions to what Sir Steve Hansen brought up with the Bricky boys this morning. Back after a short break. Your call's very welcome on the back of um, Steve Hansen's thoughts on the Nations Championship and what he liked about Rugby League, which was I never thought I'd hear Steve Hansen saying he's enjoying watching Rugby League as a product more than rugby. Interesting stuff. Uh, the great rugby man from Dunedin, Cliff, joins us. G'day, Cliff. Yeah, g'day, Steph. I think um, Steve Hansen's been involved in some of the background on one of the league teams in Australia, wasn't he? I think offering a bit of bit of advice. But the more I hear about this, the more <laughs> they're trying to change the wheel on the whole thing. Is it about club? Is it about super rugby? Is it about nations? Is it about countries? Is it about the top level countries? Is it about trying to bring more clubs or more countries into uh, the rugby? To me, super rugby has become really flat. You know, taking the uh, South Africans out of it, they enlarged it too big. There's not enough quality players around the world. The South Africans proved that, that they didn't need five teams. We're struggling now with the Samoan, the Island Pacific side is picking up two, uh, you know, 35 odd players, some of them that could have been playing for the likes of the Highlanders. So they're struggling. So there's just not the numbers in the game. So we, we either make the game a better product 
with fewer teams with better competition, you know, with in regard to super, or we go back to NPC, we we make that a tougher competition. Maybe bring a couple of island teams in it, have three divisions, play it as their main product during the year, and ditch the super. You know, we could the Australian teams could play a couple of sides in our NPC in the top level if they're good enough. It just makes you know you want promotion relegation in three in the three competitions. Super Rugby to me looks like it's on its way out big time because they can't get anyone there unless it's a top game at the you know the Crusaders, the Blues, or the, you know the rest of them are very flat. And what do you think? Yeah, I've thought for a long time, Cliff, and I don't know what the solution is. And and I like people to have solutions, but I don't have one. Is that I feel like there's too many layers of rugby for the number of participants. Like in New Zealand, we've got school, club. Heartland, NPC, Super, International. That's six levels, and we've got dwindling numbers. Um, Steve Hansen and some elsewhere in the interview mentioned you're not going to get rid of Super Rugby because that's where the money comes in. That's the broadcasting deals, the advertisers, the sponsors, and all of that. But it's been to the detriment of the NPC. Now, when you and I grew up, we only had NPC, and I loved it. I loved it when it was Div 1, 2, and 3, and there was promotion relegation. I went to a promotion relegation game, um, North Harbour, came to Palmerston North, when they'd just been established, they put them in the third division, they won that, they put them in second division, they won that, played promotion relegation against Manawatu, packed house, so much emotion, Manawatu went down, North Harbour went up and pretty much stayed there. But it brought a lot of theatre and it brought a lot of that local tribalism. Now, are we too old and can't progress on from our distant memories of how amazing the NPC was? Could we get it back? Could we get it back? Well, we could get the NPC back. I reckon we could make the NPC the top level. Mm. That could be the professional unit, you know, Division 1, and it has 12 teams in it, and it might have the Fijians and uh, Samoan team if they're good enough. And if we want to make it so that there's a couple of the three Australians in it, if they want to play in our top level, but at least... And then, and then it filters down. It could be all played from, you know, like sort of June, July, August, September. It could be four months of quality top-level rugby locally rather than playing the splinter stuff. You talk about under-20s. The kids, the kids that get to under-20 that are good enough, they end up in the, in the Otago or they end up in the Blues, and then there's nothing left. Yeah. There's, no, there's no real competition for anyone else, so everybody else just falls away. You know, it's just dying. Teams just can't fill, fill, they can't get front rowers. You know, if you can't, if you're not a top level rugby player, you fall away. By the time you're 24, you've had enough. You know, in the old days, guys would play 100 games, club rugby. Well, they're they're very, very rare now because by the time they start playing top team in the, you know, club rugby, they're 17 or 18. But within six years, they've had enough. If they don't make the Otago or the, you know, those sort of rep sides, they're gone. So we end up with a whole lot of schoolboys playing top team rugby. By the time they're 21, there's the odd, old, old fella. But you know, where, where's rugby gone? You know, you mentioned you mentioned front row. You mentioned front rowers, Cliff. I, 
I was thinking about it this morning. Um, 14 MPC teams, you need at least four props each team. That's 70 players. You need another 40-odd hookers. So you're looking at 110 front rowers just to service the MPC, and they're just not there. No, well, by the t- like I say, by the time they're 24, 25, they've had enough of rugby. Because instead of playing, you know, Colts rugby, you know, for university or Southern, say, and, and then working their way at 22, 23 into the Otago B and then the Targa side, by the time they get to 24, unless they're top getting paid the money, they're gone. Yeah. You know, they go overseas for a bit of play, play a bit of rugby in England or somewhere for a, a, a league side or in France. You know, we, we lost lots of players through the 90s and the 2000s went overseas, and they still do because by the time they've had a bit of club rugby, the rep stuff, if they're not going to make the All Blacks B or the A team, they go overseas mm. because that's where, that's where their financial money comes so that they can come back in the, the early, mid-30s and then maybe get into coaching. But guys playing, guys playing rugby at 30 are long past it unless they're playing for the top side. Yeah, and if it's your main income, you've got to go where the money is. And I invite people to go and have a look through the team sheets at Major League Rugby in America, and there's a lot of NPC players over there because they've got to make ends meet. Cliff, uh, appreciate your call as always, buddy. Really do. There's Cliff from Dunedin. Let's go and have a chat to Joey in Auckland. Joey. Yeah, look, um, one of the big problems, Steph, is, is, you know, the promotion of club rugby. If you you have the NPC playing and you played, say, uh, Auckland Club Rugby, Auckland were playing Wellington at Eden Park, and you have the Curtin Razor as Marist against University, Auckland. Yeah. But you don't, you don't, you don't put, you don't really promote the, um, the um, uh, uh, schoolboy rugby. You, you promote the club rugby, and so that's the curtain raiser that comes on Sky. So then, guys that are coming out of school go, oh, we're not getting, from, we're not being seen at school, schoolboy rugby. We're, so if we want to be seen, we play club rugby, which is you know on Sky, and it doesn't have to can be Patoni from down, you know, we play club rugby, and then and then we go to NPC, and the NPC we have to we have to these these two divisions where. Yeah, one or two play Auckland once every two years or something. You put them all together and you have a promotion relegation and the second division, if they're good enough to, to, to play the bottom side of the um, the uh, first division and get up and, and, and win, well, they're good enough next year to play in, in, in the NPC. And that's how you do it. And if, if, you, if we want to go further and bo- a, a broaden our horizon, staff, what we do is we go to um, we go to Aussie. Look what they've done with the Aussie League and the Aussie... Of the um, f- football, they've bought New Zealand sides playing that now. New Zealand, a, a better rugby league. We're better at rugby league, and we're better at football because we so bring the Aussies in. It doesn't matter whether it's New South Wales playing Auckland, Auckland NPC. You bring New South Wales, Queensland, and and say uh, Perth, you know, over that way or whatever. You bring them into the to our NPC like they've done the same, what they did, did for us. And it will it will better Australian rugby. It will better southern better southern hemisphere rugby. Yep. And that's what you've got to do. The interesting thing is talking, um, we talked to Matt Burke, we've talked to a number of uh, rugby people over in Australia. They're getting, in Sydney, they're getting bigger crowds to club rugby than Waratahs games and New South Wales games. 
and I remember there was the Auckland Club final. They played as a curtain raiser to an Auckland MPC game. The number of people that left at the end of the club game, the club game had a bigger, uh, more people in the stands than the Auckland MPC did. That's one point. The other point is, have we got enough players to play club and MPC at the same time? That's good. That's good. Good man, Joey. Thank you, buddy. Drive safe. Yeah, no worries, Steph. You know what it is? Go, Go the mighty turbos. Get up, your turbos. I'm looking forward to that, Steph. I'm looking forward to watching them play this year. Me too, mate. Yeah, good on you, buddy. Here's Joey out of Auckland. Um, he's unfortunately right that one of the motivators for schoolboy rugby players is to be seen on TV. Is, is it an advertising thing? little bit of ego, it's okay. I don't mind a little bit of healthy ego. I want to be seen on TV, make the show reels, make the highlights, but marketing themselves to academies or offshore, whatever it is, do that for club rugby. And then it'll filter through to NPC rugby. Great points, Joey. We'll take a break for new sport and weather. We'll come back. Give us a call, 0800 Ah, oh, the beautiful sounds of Kaylee Bell, Waimati's finest country singer, the woman that's solely responsible for making me like country music. Solely responsible. We had her on the show earlier this year. She was fantastic. We should probably try and get her on again just for a yarn. She was such a good yarn. She's back in Nashville. Anyway, we're talking the rugby and then the Nations Championship and the thoughts that we've had from Steve Hansen on uh, when it should play, uh, whether now the relationship between North and South is better. I think it is. It absolutely is. It was because New Zealand or the Southern Hemisphere had to be more flexible because the Northern Hemisphere won't budge on their Six Nations. Good calls from Joey and Cliff too about how to reinvigorate the MPC. Do you care? Have you got solutions? Have you got ideas? Um, there's always some good ideas out there. Um, Steve Hansen also on breakfast this morning, he mentioned, and I'd love to get your calls on any of the stuff he talked about, player development. And he was asked, how do we retain the players we want? Well, I think if you want to continually be good at the top, you've got to have a feeder. And, you know, our feeder is our under-20s. We're starting to, 
to play more games um, with that middle tier. Uh, All Black 15s they're calling it. So I think that's good. Um, you know, we put a lot of pressure on our schoolboy players, and and they're seen by everybody as a, you know league. It takes a lot of them. AFL are starting to pinch a few. So we've got to um, we've got to find a way to make sure that we retain the ones we want and and give them opportunities to grow and um, understand that uh, this is the standards we need to reach if we want to be world class. So you know, we've got to put programs in place that, that identify them uh, a lot earlier than we are. I think and the league boys are very good at it. So maybe go and have a chat to how they do it. <laughs> Not a little tick from league from Shag. Remember back in the day we had New Zealand juniors and New Zealand universities and they do tours um, and that just gives them exposure to touring and uh, international competition. Um, and through knowing Murray Mexted at his IRANS academies, he gets whole schools come from the UK to IRANS to upskill and he gets position-specific coaches. I remember the course I went to, I may have told you before, and the, it was a secondary school in the UK, in England, and they bought all of the sixth formers in New Zealand terminology that were going to be in the first 15 next year and all of the sixth formers that were in the second 15 that would be in the first 15 the next year. So they basically got their whole next year's first 15 came down. There's about 23 of them. And they had coaches, they had Bull Allen, they had Ian Jones, um, they had, I think Dave Rennie was there. Yeah, Dave Rennie was there as well. Um, not Andrew Mertens, uh, looking after the fire. Jeff Wilson was there. So they had like some of the best to have played the game and been technological. And I watched one particular exercise, Bull Allen and Ian Jones on setting scrums. And they had this scrum machine and it measured um, the amount of resistance when they pushed into it. And they, he said, they just stood around, they said, right, pack your scrum and push the heck out of the scrum machine. There's a little meter with um, PSI pressure being put on the scrum machine. They said, right, your number is whatever it is, let's say it's 450, I can't remember the number. And then they reset them, showed them how to position their feet, their arms, their elbows, how they locked in, how they bound. It doubled. It doubled in two minutes. And those guys went back and won their first 15 competition the following year, having been a mid-table for years and years and years, from spending a week learning the game. Where am I going with this? We've got all the intel here. We've got all the ability here. The under-20s, just about got beat by Wales. They got resoundly beaten by France. And so I pick up on the bit that Steve Hansen mentioned there about they need more exposure. The under-20s, I think the last time there was an under-20s World Cup was 2019, so there's been none in 2021, 22 because of the COVID restrictions. Get that. But it looks like um, we, the previous three, we were first, then seventh, then fourth, and now we're playing off between fifth and eighth. Too long out of the too long out of the out of the mill. And what that says to me is maybe our schoolboy competition isn't as strong as it used to be. As it used to be. I don't know. There is a world secondary schools. I know Hamilton's won it. I think Hastings have won it. I don't know what's happening with it at the moment. But when you look at the numbers we've got, if we've got enough to support, 
All Black 15s, I'd love to see the Māori go offshore. I'd love to see, a bit like the Sevens do, the exposure they get all around the world and New Zealand juniors. Jeez, teams would put their hands up to play us. Remember that game that Stephen Donald went to last year, All Black, classic All Blacks or All Black Legends or whatever it was, and they sold out a stadium in Spain and played the Spanish national side, and it went gangbusters. The All Black brand cash in on it. All Black 15s, make it something. I've talked to cricketers about a, a, a Black Caps or a New Zealand A side and the invaluable experience they get from playing in different conditions. Anyway, love to hear your thoughts. I'll leave you with this one. Steve Hansen was asked for his opinion on the refereeing in the Super Rugby final and what he'd change for the game in general. We'll play that. We'll go to Ed's. Give us a call after it. I know... Um a lot of people weren't happy with the refereeing, but I, I thought he did a pretty good job. Apart, you know, he missed a forward pass, but look, they miss forward passes in every game, and sometimes that's just the way it is. Like for me, I'd just get rid of the TMO and say, right, oh, ref, you ref it, and if we miss something, well, we just got to be big boys and put our big boy pants on and deliver. And you get rid of all this nonsense of of everybody booing the ref. Like you're no different than you know, people drop balls, people like. Damien made a mistake by being inside the 10 metre mark so everyone makes those so just live with that but get a game that has got some flow to it and it's not stop starting and and uh, it's really competitive if we can get a super competition like that then everyone's going to get excited by it again I've got something a bit special now it's going to be a daily feature because I've got Robinho here for two weeks Wimbledon last two weeks so here's the first instalment of Robinho's Wimbledon rap It's time for the Wimbledon wrap. Oh, I like it. Very exciting. Uh, So, yeah, if you haven't heard what's happening uh, in Wimbledon, it's basically if I was to do this in 20 seconds, I'd tell you it's been raining. (laughs) Um, And that's about it. But, uh, no, there have been some matches played. A lot of games suspended because Mm. of the rain. Uh, But, yeah, some some pretty pretty interesting results to keep track of as well. Um, On the men's side of the draw, we got Yannick Sinner. He beat uh, Juan Manuel Carandolo of Argentina. Oh, Carandolo. Yes, of course. Uh, 6-2, 6-2, 6-2 in straight sets. So he's through to the second round, uh, as is Stan Wawrinka. Stan the man, Switzerland. Uh, He beat Emil Rusevjori of Finland, mm. 7-5, 7-5, 6-4. Kasper uh, Rud, who's probably my favourite player at the moment. Is he? Hot take, I think. Um, very likeable character. Fourth seed of Norway. He took on uh, Laurent Locoli of France. Uh, and he didn't quite get it done in straight sets, but 6-1, 5-7, lost the second one. And then 6-4, 6-3, got the job done. Uh, Michael... Now, I don't know how you pronounce this name. Mimo? It's M-M-O-H. Mo. Yeah, sure. <laughs> we'll go with that. Um, he he actually upset uh, Felix Ojea Aliasim, the 11th seed out of Canada, uh, in four sets, but it was a it was a thriller. Um, 7-6 with a 7-4 tiebreak. Then 6-7 with a 7-4 tiebreak. 7-6, another 7-4 tiebreak. Wow. And uh, then 6-4, he got, uh, got it done in four sets. 
So, um, yeah, big big game there and big upset. OJ Ali Asim out in the first round. Um, that's a multi-killer if you... That is a multi-killer. Yeah, but yeah, no, he played well. Uh, Djokovic, second seed, uh, got past Pedro Kachin of Argentina pretty easily. 6-3, 6-3, and then had to work for the third set, but 7-6, got it done. Another 7-4 tiebreak, funnily enough. Uh, then we have Cam Nari. Controversial. Um, he, well... Controversially from the UK, do we still claim him? Yes. Uh, yeah, of course we do. Um, but yeah, he got past uh, Thomas Machek, 6 3, 4 6, had to work a bit, 6 1, 6 4. To the skies it goes. And to the second round goes Khan Nori. Well, could it be a repeat of last year's great run? That would take some doing, but he is up and running up Wimbledon again. Good result for Nori there through to the second round. Uh, we got Andy Murray. He took down Ryan Penniston, uh, also of the UK, um, very easily in the end. 6-3, 6-love, 6-1. Um, so, yeah, good good simple result for him in the uh, in the first round. And uh, he was on centre court with a pretty special guest um, looking down. He had Roger Federer watching from the stands. It was amazing to have... Uh, some royalty here, but also some some tennis royalty um, <laughs> as well. Yeah, it's amazing to have um, yeah Roger here supporting the, the event. Um, last time I was on this court and he was watching was during the Olympics and he sat in Stan Wawrinka's box and was supporting <laughs> against me. So it was nice to see uh, <laughs> a couple of claps today after some good shots, but. Um, no, it's amazing, and yeah, hope you're doing well, Roger. <laughs> Good easy result for Andy there. Uh, through to the second round. Uh, running out of time, Steph, but qu- quickly through uh, some of the other results. Carlos Alcaraz got past uh, Jeremy Chardia, France. Uh, six love, six two, seven five. So pretty easy for him. And then uh, over to the woman's side of the draw. Uh, Coco Goff upset by Sophia Kennan, uh, also Ooh. of the States. Six four, four six, six two. Igis Fiontek beats Zhu Lin. Six one, six three. Uh, Jessica Pagula beat Lauren Davis. Uh, Pagula's the fourth seed in the tournament. Uh, that was a uh, that went to three sets. Azarenka got past uh, Yui Yuan of China. And um, <laughs> Caroline Garcia, fifth seed, French, beat uh, Katie Volleynets, who didn't do enough volleying at the net. Um, <laughs> no, it's hopeful. So I've, I've, I've nabbed that joke. I've heard that far too many times. Uh, Sabalenka beat Udvardi. Ons Jabur beat Magdalena Fritsch. And Rabakina beat Shelby Rogers. That's my pick to win it, Rabakina. All right. Rubikina, keep a look out. Got some text messages which we'll get to after this break. Coming up, news time before that afternoon, Staffy mate. Do you know why there was no June test for the All Blacks this year? Just realised today that the rugby championship is starting this weekend from Josh. Yeah, World Cup year. World Cup year. There's generally not June test series because it's all bought forward or bought back. So that's why, because it's World Cup year. Uh, from Tim in the 09, where do the 17 and 18 and 19 year olds go after school? There appears to be no strong club and rep teams at these age groups. The NRL has under 16, under 18, under 20 New South Wales. Also, what is in place for the late developer players and also rural players who may get missed? Tim from the 09. I can't answer those. Uh, I think the 85 kilogram grade was a, was a great innovation which uh, you know if I was 
80 kilos and then my only choice was prezies and you're having to tackle 130 kilo guys, I'm not into it. Um, but yeah, good questions posed. Tim, thank you, sir. Uh, we've got the news coming up. After that, we're going across to Argentina, talking to their foremost rugby journalist, Frankie Dagas, ahead of the All Blacks Argentina this weekend. Stick around. We head off to Argentina now where we catch up with the wonderful rugby writer, Frankie Dagas, out of Argentina. We're about to get to off to Mendoza. Welcome in, Frankie. Hi, Mark. How are you? Very well. Um, we're a little bit in dark in the dark about what Argentinian side we're going to face, how long they've been together, etc. Could you could you tell us when they've grouped together, and and then we'll talk about what sort of threat they're going to be. Yeah, they only got together officially on Sunday night to fly to Mendoza. They haven't yet uh, showed their faces to the media, except for when they launched their the rugby jersey. I'm actually going to Mendoza to do a couple of interviews because uh, even having them 15 minutes away from home and unofficial training, uh, they were not available. So uh, I love it. I have to catch a flight and go to the land of wine and sun, uh, which isn't that bad. But um, <laughs> but yeah, so basically, I don't know if they've been secretive, if they've been hiding, if they've been, I don't know, trying to get their stuff sorted out uh, before the start of the rugby championship. But uh it's not like the question marks. It's just that we don't know what's what's happening with the team. When they named the team that's going to take part in the rugby championship, were there any surprises in selection for you, Frankie? No, they named a squad of 48 to prepare for the World Cup. Then they named a, a smaller group to travel to Mendoza. And that uh, smaller group, there's some issues with uh, injuries or with uh, recovery which we're not aware how fully recovered players are, mostly at uh, halfback. So uh, they had to invite a fifth or fourth, yeah, whatever, another scrum half uh, to join the, the, the squad in Mendoza because of these question marks. But overall, uh, everybody that needed to be there is there and there are no real surprise submissions. Uh, surprise Let's put it that way. I really miss having the Hawaris in the Super Rugby. I thought they brought a lot of passion, a lot of flair, and a different style of rugby. But now that is no longer in Super Rugby. Have they? Uh, are the bulk of them over in Europe and in France? All of them, all of them. Basically, all the guys that played for Hawaris are now employed in in France, England, Italy, uh, Scotland was uh, Paolo Matera, who played for the Crusaders, as you will remember. He played in Japan last season, and, and I have no idea. He hasn't yet, hasn't yet uh, told anyone what his plans are for, for this next season that starts after the World Cup. But basically, it was totally dismembered. Even Gonzalo Quesada, who was the coach, he, he assigned to uh, replace Kieran Crowley as Italy coach after the World Cup. So, so yeah, nothing... Only the old shirts uh, you see here and there at uh, rugby clubs. Uh, Argentina had a pretty good year last year. Won two of, well, in fact, they've won two of the last six games against the All Blacks. But last year, picking up wins from memory, England, Australia, Scotland. You've beaten Italy enough times as well. And Argentina always seemed to peak for Rugby World Cups. And I've always thought that's the South American red-blooded passion that they just seem to get up for things. Have you got the cattle in the team this year to, to make a real threat in both the Rugby Championship and, and World Cup, do you think? 
I beg to disagree with you. Uh, we didn't qualify for the quarterfinals in Japan, so that didn't work. Maybe that time what happened was that uh, the team was was uh, had been heavily involved with uh, Super Rugby, uh, playing the final in Christchurch. Then they had a two-week turnaround to play the first test and the World Cup and whatever. Maybe it was too much. Maybe this other approach, of which we know very little of what they've been doing, is a different approach. Um, playing playing the the rugby championship and and uh, and the World Cup is is tough. We do have good players, but uh, I don't think we have players that cons- consistently uh, play at that level all the time. But again, I think I mean the players are there. And when you said about the year last year, yeah, they beat the All Blacks, but uh, they beat the All Blacks in the first test, then they lost 53-3. Yeah. And the last two games were against Wales and Scotland, and they were a shadow of the team that uh, beat England in the opening weekend of the November window. So, yeah, there, there's still some question marks. So There's always question marks on Argentina, which team will, will show up on, on a match day. I mean, I think this team and, and the current All Black side... Uh, could be a, a game that's actually open, even though the bookies uh, don't believe so. But I think it, it's it's quite open. But then it could go either way. I mean, Argentina could just kill them or they just lie flat and, and, and not perform. So hopefully it's the first. So has consistency always been a thing for Argentina? Because as you mentioned, they beat New Zealand and then the following week they just they got destroyed by them. Is consistency something that is lacking from the international team? Yeah, I think it, it's always been an issue. Uh, the only time that they were really, really, really consistent was in 2007 when they finished third. Because if you look at uh, when they finished fourth in 2015, they beat all the opposition except uh, New Zealand, Australia and South Africa, uh, which came in, in in succession. New Zealand in the opening game, Australia in the semifinals and South Africa in the third and fourth game. So... Uh, yeah, keeping it together for, for seven games... It's gonna be it's gonna to be tough. Uh, maybe that's what uh, Michael Checker brings to the team. Maybe his approach uh, is is a different one coming from the outside looking in. Might be might be good. Talking to rugby writer out of Argentina, Frankie Davis. Yeah, the Michael Checker one. I wanted to ask you about him. Um, he he's quite a fiery chap. Probably quite easily slot into the way of thinking of Argentinians. Yeah, he, he's he's quite. Argentine for being a, uh, an Australian uh, with Lebanese origins. I don't know what the Lebanese are like, I have to say, but I'd say they're more like us than than uh, your average uh, Aussie. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's. I mean, you only have to look at uh, at the at the what you call it when Australia played against against Argentina in 2018. I think they lost the first half something like 30, 32, six or whatever. And he he really gave them a <laughs> a bit of a shouting in the in the changing room. The video is somewhere there in YouTube to find. And they turned it around and they won something like 46, 36. I'm sorry, I don't remember those scores exactly, but uh, but I mean he can really fire up a team. Uh, and the players, I understand, uh, play for him as well. They like him. He's making a, a huge effort to speak the language. Uh, that's that's a big change. So. Yeah, I think I Rami, mean, I'm, I'm, I'm certain that he's an asset to the team. So it's just a question of if he can change that consistency aspect we were talking about. 
Frankie, what's your thoughts on this new world championship that's been, well, it's not proposed. It looks like it's going to go ahead with the Six Nations teams, the Sanzar teams, um, and two invitational teams t- making up two pools, and you play each other in the other pools and culminating in a final, probably at Twickenham, somewhere like that. Is that good for the game? Is that good for Argentinian rugby? It's good for Argentinian rugby, but any tournament that has, that doesn't have a promotion or relegation is uh, is it's a it's an American sport. I mean, NFL has no relegation or promotion. All the all the North American sports don't have that. And I think you're, you're just killing uh, Georgia. You're not giving Uruguay a possibility. Uh, what about will it be Fiji or Samoa? One of them is going to lose out. I think if you really if you're really worried about about the the global scene, you've got to open it and and ensure that there is promotion and relegation. They are talking about promotion relegation in 2030 with a second-tier competition running at the same time in a promotion relegation, but there's a very real threat that Italy could get dropped out um, at, the, at the benefit of someone like a Georgia or a Fiji, but I, I do worry about Tonga, Samoa, and the up-and-coming like Uruguay have been fantastic on the seven series. I've thought they're real improvers. So South American rugby apart from Argentina, I guess, are a little worried? They are. They are. And and again, I mean, yeah, we're going to do it in 2030. So many things can happen in seven years that uh, it, I think it's, 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 it's empty promises. Um, just start from the start. And it makes, if Italy has to drop out because Georgia beat them, goodbye Italy. Yeah. It's 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 a fact of it's a fact of life. If Argentina, I mean now Argentina, they were hoping uh, today they were hoping to qualify for the semi-finals of the Under Twenty World Championship, and uh, they lost, and now they've got to play for uh, for survival. So I mean they went there uh, full of hype. Now they've got to play to avoid relegation. Fact of life, mate. You're as good as your last game. Just get it together. Yes, I watched that game, actually, this morning, New Zealand time, the Argentinians. You've got some good young athletes coming through. I know you haven't made the semi-finals, but you're pretty damn close, and you ran South Africa pretty close as well. Wonderful set piece, as per normal, with the Argentinians. Just yeah. just before we go, Frankie, the 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 next level down from Argentinian um, test rugby teams, your local competitions, is it is it all about building a pathway into Europe, into Japan, for your local players in Argentina? Yeah, it's not so much about building a pathway because, I mean, there's, there's a certain amount of players that will be hired by overseas countries. What they're trying to do, and, uh, and now this year was Super Rugby Americas, uh, seven-team competition, two from Argentina, one from Paraguay, one from Chile, one from Uruguay, one from Brazil, and one from the U.S. It's just, again, provide this pathway uh, for players to, A, be professional in within their region, not needing to leave, and then the, the other option is that the, the national teams are going to be better served. 20, 20 of the guys that went to South Africa with the under-20s, they played in, in the Super Rugby Americas this year. And that was very positive. I mean, basically we were expecting better results given that they uh, had played professional rugby leading up to, they played uh, 12 games, 12 professional games leading up to the Junior World Championship. Okay, it didn't happen. It's it's all part of the of the growing pathway, but uh, we've had semi-professional and professional rugby now 
since 2020 in the region. And in fact, that's why Chile qualified. Chile would not have qualified if we haven't we hadn't had that tournament. So, as you say, I mean, it's not a pathway for for players to go overseas. We're not we're not uh, we're not feeding them for someone else to uh, benefit. But it is it is a pathway so that our national teams are better. Well, brilliant, Frankie. I appreciate you talking to us before you jump on a plane. I'm very much looking forward to uh, sampling a bit more Los Pumas uh, flair, rugby, uh, strength, mobility. Uh, let's hope it's a bit of a spectacle in Mendoza. Um, really appreciate your time today, Frankie. It's always a pleasure, mate. Uh, we beat the All Blacks in Sydney. We beat them in New Zealand. We haven't yet beaten them in Argentina. Maybe it's this weekend. Hopefully. Who knows? Yeah, brilliant. Frankie, travel well. Thank you very much. <coughs> yeah, Frankie Dagus there. Um, great chat out of Argentina. Um, I didn't even know about Super Rugby Americas with teams from Paraguay and Uruguay and Chile. And I think there were a couple from Argentina, one from Brazil. Um, so they've got some good meaningful competition for their players, which is fantastic. A couple of text messages, uh, one from Ken Staffy on the under-20s. There were some poor selections in the squad, chosen, and injuries, and the defence coach was not up to it as proven before in the NPC. There's so much talent there all across the board, and these guys are still 18 or 19. I know a couple, and they are big boys, so I think we'll be okay heading forward, Chess Ken. Yeah, I'm not saying they're poor players, Ken, but I'm just weary, I think, of the Northern Hemisphere and the amount of effort they're now putting into those academies. And I mentioned yesterday when I spoke to Victor Vito a couple of years ago, and he said the 18 and 19-year-olds in their club academies, just their clubs at Montpellier, at Toulon, at Toulouse, at Racing 92, the academies that they're putting in behind this now, and they've finally breached that gap between the national body and the rich club owners. There's now harmony there. And the disharmony helped us because teams wouldn't release players. Now they're all on the same page. I think we could be, after this World Cup, there's a potential, not saying it's going to happen, there's a potential that this French rugby movement is going to be very, very hard to stop. Um, From Kanu, the under-20s rugby team, disappointing result. Same as if the French-Irish Seems as if the French, the Irish and the English have improved with their national tournaments and we have been a bit left behind and it's a bit sad. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a warning shot. It's not a loaded gun. It's a warning shot that these, these youngsters, they're playing some very good rugby at that under-20s. And I do take your point, Ken, that all is not lost for New Zealand, etc. Uh, but I feel like maybe that group of players during that COVID period weren't accommodated, didn't have meaningful competitions, and I think we've been left behind a little bit. Um, New Zealand rugby, hopefully, I'm pretty sure, they will act on these results that have happened out of South Africa at the under-20s and just bring some meaningful competition and, and resource behind these these guys because um, it's they'd put their hands up and say it's not really good enough to be playing off a fifth and eighth at the under-20s level. All right, um, Happy to take your text messages, double eight double three. That is the Tampa and Bear Post text machine, of course. Uh, they make beds designed to fit your body. I, I'd like to challenge them on that. Have they got a bed that will fit my body? 
haven't found one yet. Maybe they've got one. Anyway, double eight, double three. Text messages on anything you like on the Steve Hansen chat that we replay to you out of the breakfast show. If you want to listen to the chat in its entirety, you can go to the SENZ app or Apple or Spotify. The full chat is there. Uh, we will take a break. We'll come back in a moment. Oh, Rabinio, you're in for a treat today. I don't know if you've been in studio for a Bailey's Property of the Week. Before. I have. You have? I have. They're uh, enjoyable. I, th- I think, yeah, once. Actually, I did one with Sam. Did I was, you? I was in with Sam for a Bailey's Property of the Week. And yeah. Sam actually just came in during that ad break and he said, have you done Bailey's yet? And I said, no, I haven't. I said, it's coming up next. And he said, can I stay in and listen? And he's not there, so you no, said he no? Ju- he just popped. He got a phone call, and he's hoping to jump in shortly. Right. But let's tell you about today. Oh, me, oh, my, oh, Manawa Hills. This is a secluded paradise of lush fam- farmland nestled in the oh, Manawa Hills. It's behind Tauranga, cradled, literally cradled by native bush. That is today's Bailey's Property of the Week. Bought to market, they've got some roosters at Bailey's, eh? Stu Cundy is his name. Great man, Stu. Scroll down. Look at him. It's a little bit of John Key about him. Little bit of John Key. He's got that, got that face that you just want to have a chat to. So you need to chat to Stu Cundy at Bailey's Tauranga. This is a beautifully renovated 1990s home at 100, sorry, 1128D. Omanawa Road. It's got spacious open plan living with flows. On, there's a north-facing deck uh, out the rear. There's three bedrooms, two bathrooms, laundry, games room. There's an office. There's a study. There's every room you need. It's got a large 233 square metre steel shed. It's got three roller doors at the front and an additional roller door on the opposite side as well. You could use it for pit stops. Drive in, change your tyres, drive out. Whatever you want to do. Um, one end of the shed has got a modern office, lunchroom with a shower, toilet, sink, all the amenities. Um, the farm is well appointed with a three-bay implement shed, calf rearing sheds, cattle yards, additional shelters. Uh, the central race design gives access to the 25 paddocks. And are you a horse owner? Well, you'll enjoy the space and the opportunity you can convert the sheds into stables. Easy as pie. There's buses to school. They're not far from the gate. And the Tauranga Crossing Shopping Centre is less than 20 minutes away, making it an ideal choice for those seeking a serene, rural lifestyle. Let's hit the photos. The photos on the website. First one, good. First one, good. It's like the property and the three-roll. That is a big shed. The shed's nearly as big as the house. It's nearly... I'd almost want to live in the shed, but let's have a look through the photos. The drone's gone up. Bailey's got the Bailey's drone with the aerial, <coughs> excuse me, the aerial view. And it's, I'm just looking close. It's got one of those driveways that goes round. You know, you drive up off the road and you can go round and out. So you never have to reverse. Love that about a driveway. And I'd want that. Now we go inside the house. Well, we're just outside the house now looking across the lawns. Beautiful stripes. Sammy, I love those stripes. Same lounge suite as me. Same lounge suite as I've got at home. They've got good taste and a big fish on the wall. That's probably going, though. You can't have the fish. I spy an open fire. I see windows all around the living areas out to the beautiful vistas. 
Oh, are they vines out there? If they're not, you can plant some. Plenty of room. Dining area. Ranch sliders. Kitchen. You know, people, I love a good kitchen. White. Clean. It's got one of those bay island things. What do you, what do you call them? An island bay island kitchen island thing with drawers that you can sit around and, and yarn. Tell some lies about your golf at the end of the day. Put the stools around. It's a little TV in the kitchen as well. Like that. Never miss a beat. Um, coffee machine. I reckon you could negotiate to get them to call up Stu. Say I'll buy it if I can have the coffee machine. Bedrooms have got TVs in them. Bedrooms look flash. There's walk-in wardrobe. There's an ensuite. Flat. There's a swag of photos. I'm only up to photo 18 of 44. So get yourself on here. Bailey's.co.nz. B-A-Y-L-E-Y-S. Start that again. B-A-Y-L-E-Y-S. .co.nz, then a forward slash, 250-3295. Stu Cundy's the man with all of, it's got good carpet too, heavy duty carpet. This might be out in the shed now, it is. It's like a house itself, the shed people, with an outdoor area, fenced off, protected. It's got one of those little wooden wheelbarrows with a little garden in it. I tell you what, I'm feeling like more of a complete human now. I'm just scrolling through. There's the big aerial shot. I tell you what, they have stuck the drone at its full extent of potential, way up in the air. They would have had to get air traffic control. Have a look at photo 29 of 44, folks, and just say, I could be there. There's a horse. There's a race. There's some silo things. This is the complete package person that won Lotto in Tauranga not long ago get yourself involved Bobby Carves having a feed lots of horses and the lawns if Sam Hewitt gets off the phone and comes in here and looks at these lawns he'll put in an offer I'm pretty sure of it beautiful photos at sunset I've got through all 44 photos and I'm sold Stu Cundy is the man at Tauranga I'm going to give you his number because I think you should call him 027 294 3144 Stu Cundy, if I come into some cash soon, you are going to hear from me because that is magnificent. Have yourself a little look. Baileys.co.nz and the property number is 250-3295. Or just do yourself a favour and go and have a look at it and just think what could be. Baileys, New Zealand's number one rural real estate brand. News time. Who's that one, Robbie? Guess. Is that Kaylee Bell? Yeah. Is it really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't heard that song before. Yeah, she's got some great tunes. Should we just turn this into a country music festival while you're on? Yeah, maybe. Just for the next fortnight or so. Although Sammy loves country as well. Yeah, that's true. <clears throat> he always well, tries to pick my bro- pick. He tries to pick a so- songs that I will like. Right. He's got about a. When he started, he had about a 20% strike rate. He's up to about 70. Yeah. You've done quite well until that shambles the other day. Yeah, yeah. No, we don't talk about that one. No. Um, I like it, though. <laughs> That's all that matters. No. Um, yeah, no, I um, yeah, was going through some music, picking out, out some songs, and uh, just got a whole bunch of Kaylee Bell, um, <laughs> which I now, funnily enough, pretty much have got through. Uh, in fact, I have, apart from one. Which we haven't played yet, and well, I guess we're saving. Oh, are we? After the next ad break? Maybe. Oh. I mean, it's the big one. Oh, it's the big one. It's the yeah, one yeah. I actually suggested to Sam. Every now and then we refresh our show song, 
And he said, what are your thoughts on a new show song? And I said, this next Kaylee Bell one we're going to play. And he goes, hmm. Just didn't know if it had the legs to survive like four or five months as the show song. So I gave him the other option, which was Babysitter's Circus. Yeah. Um, and he loved it. So that's what we're sticking with. Um, but yeah, Kaylee Bell, just love it. I actually, after I interviewed her, I put Kaylee Bell in Spotify in my car. And then when it ran, runs out of Kaylee Bell songs, it starts playing similar songs to hers. Artists I'd never heard for. And my three-hour drive to Tauranga was fantastic. Yeah, well, I'm a I'm a huge fan of the uh, the old Spotify Discover Weekly uh, playlist. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. No, it's um yeah, basically it's a certain certain party of Spotify which uh, every week it generates a playlist of songs from artists that I mean most of the time you've never heard of, ah. and it's like similar to the songs you've liked and tend to play a lot of. Because that's a, that's a trap I found is you have to if there's a song playing you like it you have to push somewhere that you like it and go okay he likes that sort of stuff yeah I'll find stuff for him um, just having spoken to Frankie Davis about uh, the test match I see Argentina at four eighty on the TAB website um, and the point start is thirteen and a half and something that we've sort of not talked much about and I mean, and he brought it up about Michael Checker how. He's got them all wanting to play for him. Um, he's a very passionate man, Checker. He probably suits a red-blooded nation like Argentina with his with his type of personality. Is the 13-and-a-half a bit? Argentina getting 13-and-a-half in Mendoza, a few of the top-line All Blacks. I mean, I think it's a bit pending who plays for New Zealand, who gets named for New Zealand. Um, be a lot of combinations that have never played before. Very, very good players. Same as Argentina, but Argentina have been doing this for years, all coming back from France and the UK, as Frankie mentioned. One concern is they look like they're down to their fourth or fifth halfback. Interesting, eh? TRB.co.nz has all of the um, odds there for the Argentinian test match. New Zealand 13 over at 175, 12 and under 280. Argentina 12 and under 6, 13 over 18. Not, I'm not about that. It's either the 480 or the $6 Argentina. It's the Argentina 13 under in a multi. Robbie, you're a big multi taker. And now I've assigned you as the official Wimbledon, um, Wimbledon watch in the office. Um, to make it more real, I suggested that you take the odd multi so you, you get invested in it and you tell, me, you tell me you've taken one. I have taken one and I'm, uh, I've... Can't remember if I'm here. Or I was just listening. I've I've seen or heard rather Sam mention in the past that, uh, you know he's uh, he's big into the long odds. Yes, he you is. Know, the he loves the multis that are paying eighty bucks yeah. and he puts on five to win four hundred. Yeah. yeah, I'm very much the same. Oh, okay. So um, it's a low budget, high return. Indeed. Uh, and so I haven't gone quite as crazy, um, but I have picked. There's a couple of boosted options at the TAB that they've got going. Um, for, in the tennis? For Wimbledon, yeah. Right. Um, overnight, we've got Dimitrov, Djokovic, and Sinner all to win in straight sets. Right. Paying $4. Okay. And uh, Sakari, Pliskova, and Azarenka all to win in straight sets, paying $5. Oh. So three from each draw. Oh, and you just so it's a it's a two leg multi, but there's six games involved. Indeed, yeah. So, yeah, a $4 shot, $5 shot. 20 bucks. 20 bucks. Are you so, prepared to tell New Zealand what you put on it? Uh, I am. 
Ten bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Ten doing two hundred. I'm going crazy. Imagine, imagine five of the six go straight sets. Oh god! And the other one is a tiebreaker. <laughs> And the tiebreaker goes 10-8 and two set points to your person. That's what would happen to me. Yeah, and probably will happen to me, but we'll see. Potentially. Uh, that'll I like be that. in the Wimbledon wrap for tomorrow. Yeah, you're investing in your newfound portfolio of work for the next two weeks. Can't wait. Yeah, it's just going to get better and better. Right, uh, we've just gone a one thirty eight. What's coming up for the rest of the day? Tony Kemp, he's been striding around the building for a while. Striding around the building. Um, so him and Sam and Sammy's here as well. So they're going to be do running it straight from two o'clock. Uh, and tomorrow I've heard that Kempy and Sam are having a hot dog eating competition in studio tomorrow morning. I did hear that. Did, um, you've heard it as well. I have. And uh, we're going to, funnily enough, actually talk a bit more about that in What's Making News. Should we take a break and talk more about it and what's making news after? I think we should. Oh, looking forward to it. Hot dog chat after this. Ladies and gentlemen, I've, I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. What's making news around the world. Do you know what they say in this? I don't. Listen, this bit now. Something grazing the in the grass. grass. Grazing in the grass. I right. have no idea why Sammy's picked that, but I'm all about it. Sure. What's making news, right. Rubinho? What is making news? Now, you might have seen this uh, first story as it, as it did actually make the mainstream news over here, um, but a bit of a New Zealand story about a, about a nice seal. I've heard about the seal that they couldn't catch yeah, so somewhere. So a young seal um, was returned to the ocean eventually, but after wandering through Auckland and visiting a KFC restaurant. What, wouldn't you? Of course, yeah, <laughs> obviously. Um, so yeah, a landscaper in the Papakura area spotted something running past, thought it was a wet dog originally. Uh, further <laughs> investigation, it was a seal. Mm. And uh, apparently it ran across the motorway and into some houses, causing some chaos in people's gardens. Quite a scene. Um, but the seal was eventually wrangled by police and de- Department of Conservation personnel who suspected it had possibly come into the Papakura area from the Pahurahure Inlet. They also said that seals are exploratory by nature and often make their way into urban areas. Wow. So They just pop their dogs and go, what's down there? Yeah, exactly. Oh, KFC. Uh, but yeah, a biodiversity ranger for the department said the seal was given a lift out to uh, Murawai Beach, which I guess is the closest ocean. No. From Papakura. Yeah, well, yeah. Papakura is South Auckland, isn't it? Yes. Well, that, that's yeah. That's what I was going to say. It's about an hour drive from Papakura. Yeah. But I don't know. Like, they would have so had their reasons. Take them home. Don't take them to another village. He'll yeah. jump in there. I don't know anyone here. Exactly. And Murawai hasn't got a KFC. Maybe that's why. That might be it. Mm. Great place, Murawai. It is. It is indeed. Um, but yeah, they worked with uh, Auckland Council over there at Murawai, and once they opened the cage, it just uh, it did take off straight into the ocean. So pretty ideal outcome in the end. Not bad. Mm. Um, a California startup has announced its prototype flying car has been cleared for takeoff by the Federal Aviation Administration. Oh, God. <laughs> Have you got a picture of it? Um, not haven't. on me. <laughs> um, and... 
wouldn't make for great radio anyway. No, um, I, I was going to get you to do it. No, I'll show you at some point. Um, yeah, the Model A, the first flying vehicle that can drive on public roads and park like an average car to receive clearance for flight by the FAA. I found it. Right. Can I describe it? This is the Model A, the flying car of the future. Atlee looks and drives. Wow, it is impressive. Not bad. It's like a um, an oversized uh, paracetamol capsule okay. with Kevlar all over it. Interesting. That yeah, no, that, that's the same way I would have described it too. Good. Right. Carry on. Yeah, so the company CEO uh, in a news release stated, we're excited to receive this certification from the FAA. It allows us to move closer to bringing people an environmentally friendly and faster commute, saving individuals and companies hours each week. This is a one small step for planes, one (laughs) giant step for cars. (laughs) So, I mean, I just can't imagine this. Like, Like, if this becomes a reality, like, how does traffic work? How how did... What was that movie, Bruce Willis, um, and they had flying cars, oh. and, and it was all layered, so you had a lane horizontally, oh, yeah. uh, vertically? I think, I haven't seen the movie, Seven? but I... Th- no, I can't remember. It right. can drive upwards of 200 miles on whatever okay. fuel it's using. It's actually quite ugly yeah, now. Yeah, if, you run, if you run out of fuel, like, on the motorway, you just, like, you know, sputter and pull over to the side. But if you run out of fuel in the air, do you just plummet? I don't know. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be available for the consumer in 2025, and it's going to cost $300,000. That was my next point. Oh, okay. What's your uh, next point, then? Um, <laughs> next point after that was, uh, yeah, ha- has not but yet been certified for public road travel by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. So I guess that's the next step. Mm. But, uh, yeah, keep your eyes peeled. That'll be an interesting way of getting to work. It will. I mean, I don't know. They say 2025, but when, when's it getting here? I know. <laughs> a long time. Right, third story. Uh, California home dubbed the Troll Apartment has mm-hmm. been sold for $430,000. Uh, 180000 over its asking price. Now, it's suitably named the Troll Apartment because of its position in the middle of a Los Angeles County bridge. Why wouldn't you have a house on a bridge? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've had a look. It's, it's actually pretty cool. Um, there's basically the footpath above on one side, and the house is kind of like, you know, tucked underneath with like a sort of overlooking like a drainage system with a tunnel running uh, underneath that. And, uh, yeah, it was built in 1949, listed for 250000 but the listing agent said that a bidding war ensued. And uh, the home ended up selling for 430k. So, I was yeah. going to say, how could they afford it? But they could probably get bridging finance. Probably. <laughs> Great. Um, Thanks, yeah, Rory. No, there's there's, <laughs> there's uh, just a lot of unique interest for it, apparently. Mm. But yeah, instead of it being off-putting to people, it's actually come off as uh, very unique. So. Uh, yeah, apparently the previous owner purchased the house in 2005 with the intention of making it into a unique getaway but ended up only using the property for storage and it is said the new owner plans on turning it into a man cave, which I think is a that's a good it's idea. A, it's a pretty good use for it. Yeah, I like um, that. Now, I said we were going to have some hot dog chat and I yes, uh, here it is. I included this as sort of a bonus story because I know they did talk about it on, um, on breakfast, uh, hence the potential or confirmed hot dog eating competition i don't know 
if there's a certain time, we'll have to ask Sam and Kempe for running it straight. But uh, but anyway, did you hear about Joey Chestnut in I, the old... Uh, I watched the Netflix special right. on Kobayashi, who was the first legend who no one could beat, and then he got an infected jaw and tried to come back in the memory of his mother. It was quite fascinating. They are strange dudes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he, <coughs> he continued his winning tradition. He celebrated the 4th of July by winning the famous international hot dog eating contest on Coney Island for the 16th time. Nathan's, isn't it? Nathan's, correct, yep. yes. So, uh, yeah, 62 hot dogs in 10 minutes was uh, <sighs> what he did. And, yeah, his closest competitor finished a measly 49. Shocking. Terrible. Can't have been hungry. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, Chestnut's 16 wins. It's a record. This was his eighth straight win at this event. He actually ate 76 back in 2021, which stands as the highest total in a single contest, and all of the 10 biggest performances belong to him. He's Freak. the legend. He's the, um, he's the goat. Quote from Joey Chestnut, I know that after all this time, or I know that after this time, I'm not going to feel great. It's going to take about four days to feel really normal, and the first 12 hours after the contest, I'm going to feel like garbage. I go in knowing that, and I'm willing to go through that because it's an amazing contest. It's the 4th of July, and I'm going to do what it takes to get number 16. (laughs) Don't take yourself so seriously. Um, And another very short bonus story was that uh, I saw on Facebook and uh, could just be a, um, a joke post as you sometimes see I, I looked into it and couldn't find too much but apparently a man live streamed himself getting into a three hour long high speed police chase while blasting Mario Kart music <laughs> so uh, that's not, that's something and uh, yeah a few facts just to finish off quickly. Um, you're about one centimetre taller in the morning when you first get up than when you go to bed I know that yeah. you're just uh, your rear vision mirror because you're taller in the morning than you are at night wow Okay. Uh, if you walked for 12 hours a day, it would take the average person 690 days to walk across the world. Good. Walk around the world, yeah. Uh, and do you want a sort of growth fact? Save it for tomorrow. All right, fair enough. Got some texts. Guys, play Ashley Cook. She's great. There's some music advice. Robbie? Okay, we'll do. Uh, um, how much is it paying for the orange anti-oil to invade Wimbledon courts? Not much. That'll probably happen. Uh, we'll be like the Jetsons before we know it, Steph. That's from Steph. From Steph to Steph. And Steph, you love your show. Love the more morning's guests you've had. Interviewing's been so refreshing and interesting. Great work, mate. Chris in Northern Territory. Thank you, Chris. Good to have you listening in. We'll have a look back in the day after this. Here's what happened back in the day. Yes, July the 5th. It's all about Wimbledon. 1975, Arthur Ashe became the first African-American to win Wimbledon men's singles. Then in 1980, Bjorn Borg won his fifth consecutive Wimbledon. 1997, Martina Hingis at the age of 16 became the youngest Wimbledon champion. 2008, Serena Williams wrapped up victory over her sister Venus. Birthdays today, come on Jack! Jack Lovelock, born on this day in 1910. 1943, Pierre Villepreur kicked that 60 metre penalty. For the French against the All Blacks. John Shaky Wright turns 69 today, and Vinnie Jones, footballer, turns 58 on this day. In 2008, Iron Man was the number one movie, and the number one song was this You Can Dance. Oh, Katy Perry, one of the greats. Robinho, thank you for your help today. Running it straight. Sam and Kempe next.